Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Today's business travelers are finding that fitting in a little leisure time keeps them recharged and excited on work trips. I know this because whenever I travel for work, I always try and meet up with a friend to catch up, have a great dinner, or hit a museum wherever I am. So if you're traveling for work... Go with the card that puts the travel in business travel, the Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. This episode is brought to you by PipeDrive, the easy and effective CRM for closing more deals and driving small business growth. New year, new targets. PipeDrive allows you to automate your sales process so you can focus on your other business priorities in 2024. With PipeDrive, you can stay on top of your sales activities so you never miss a follow-up. So sign up today and get a special 60-day free trial now at pipedrive.com with the code BUILT. Terms and conditions apply. There are lots of people who are saying, who would want to watch other people play video games on the internet? I mean, how many times do people say that to you? I, I mean, I used to get that question every interview. Then usually what I would do actually is I'd ask them, well, first of all, just tell me, what do you watch TV? Oh, well, what do you watch? Oh, you, you like watching uh, the NFL. You like watching football. Oh, interesting. Well, it turns out people who like video games do the same thing. Right. But the best news fundamentally is I don't need them to understand it because I got it and the people watching got it, the people streaming got it. For the people who loved it, it was self-evident. The instant they saw it, like they were like, oh, this is, yes, this is what I want. This is what I've been waiting for. Welcome to How I Built This, a show about innovators, entrepreneurs, idealists, and the stories behind the movements they built. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, how Emmett Shear turned a 24-7 live stream of his best friend into a billion-dollar gaming platform, Twitch. What if I told you you could make money, a lot of money, by taking fruit and arranging it like a flower bouquet? You might say, wait, doesn't edible arrangements already do that? And the answer is yes. Except back in the early 1990s, before edible arrangements was created, the founder, Tariq Farid, would tell people about this idea. And most people thought it was ridiculous. I mean, who would want a bunch of shish kebab-like fruit skewers delivered to their door? Well, it turns out, a lot of people. Edible arrangements would go on to become a half-a-billion-dollar business. It took Tariq Farid's foresight to see that opportunity. Now, say I had another idea about 15 years ago around video games. My idea? 
to create a website where you could watch other people play video games. You might think that's a cool idea, but very few people at the time would have agreed. A wise investor might have asked, who's going to spend hours watching other people play video games? Well, we know the rest of this story because today, video gaming is a multi-billion dollar industry, and watching other people play is a huge part of that. And Emmett Shear, the co-founder of Twitch, had the foresight to build a streaming platform for those fans. Last year, gamers and viewers spent one trillion minutes on Twitch. And today, it's the biggest streaming video game platform in the world, with over 30 million daily users. But the idea for Twitch was, at the time, a gamble. Emmett and his co-founders had already built a live stream website called Justin TV, and they were starting to turn it into a social media platform. But a small, tiny number of users happened to be gamers, and Emmett believed that the future of the business depended on serving them. So in 2011, he started focusing the platform on gaming and changed the name to Twitch. The bet paid off. Just three years later, Twitch was bought by Amazon for almost a billion dollars, and Emmett is still running the company. Now, Twitch has had its share of controversy, but Emmett has always seen it as a community, warts and all, which we'll talk about. Emmett grew up in Seattle, and his best childhood friend was actually the person he would eventually create a multi-million dollar business with, Justin Kahn. We, uh, we actually grew up uh, three blocks away from each other, mm-hmm. like, like right almost next door. Uh, but I didn't know him until I was eight when I switched to Evergreen Elementary, where, uh, where he was already attending. Uh, and yeah, we met in second grade and became friends almost immediately. It's amazing because you would later go on to, to found huge companies together <laughs> and you were like met in second grade. And we were, we were like, we were, you know, reasonably close. Like I, maybe not in second grade, but certainly by third, fourth, fifth grade, we'd be over at each other's houses um, pretty often. I think I went over to his house more often. Uh, he had two brothers and more importantly, he had uh, a video game system, uh, which my parents would not buy for me. Uh-huh. What, did he, what did he have? Uh, I, if I recall correctly, it was a Super Nintendo when when we were, you know, and then later other stuff. Uh, so his house was the the superior house for hanging out because there was more there was more video games. Got it. Okay. So you guys went to the same elementary school into middle school, and then you went to different high schools, and then you um, you go off to college to Yale, and he does too. You both go to the same university. Your childhood friend, like your closest friend in middle, elementary middle school, um, and then you both end up at Yale. Yeah. Was that co- just coincidental? Totally coincidental. No planning there at all. Actually, Justin had been planning to go to Wharton um, and uh, and kind of changed his mind at the last minute. And so that was real happenstance. And in college, I think, uh, you know, I certainly reconnected with Justin in a deeper way. One of the really interesting things was I just, I found I liked his dorm, just had a collection of people that I really connected with more deeply, uh, more easily. And so I just wound up spending a ton of time with Justin, but also with all of his roommates. Uh, I was kind of an unofficial, you know, fifth member of the of the room. And when you got to college, did you, I know you studied computer science at Yale. Did you have a sense of what you thought you were going to do? Like, did you figure, okay, you know, I'll get this degree and then I'll go work for a tech company? Uh, I actually purposely didn't take any computer science because 
I loved programming already. Like I enjoyed programming a lot as a hobby. And I kind of didn't want to ruin it by making it a profession or a career. And then uh, it got to be junior year. And I'd spent freshman and sophomore year taking entirely electives, whatever I wanted. And I was like, I have nothing that resembles a major. <laughs> uh, what am I going to take, you know, another, you know, t- t- 11 courses in in the next two years? And I was like, well, I know I'm good at programming. I know it's something I love. Maybe I'll try taking computer science. And I almost immediately was like, oh, well, this this was silly. Like, I'm not only am I do I am I good at this, but like I really really enjoy the pro. Like, the work is fun. Uh, and so then I just took um, you know took eighty percent computer science for the next two years and finished the major. And while you were an under, undergraduate, um, and you sort of got in with Justin's kind of cohort, um, there was a guy named Matt Fong. And from from what I understand, at at, at a certain point in college, he he said to you and Justin, maybe others, "Hey, we should start a business." Was is that is that what happened? Yeah, Matt. Uh, Matt's a really good friend. He was one of Justin's roommates uh, freshman year. Matt is my most like uh, finance oriented of my friends, and I don't mean that he's interested in money. I mean like he looks at the entire world in terms of like what's underpriced and what's overpriced, and what should I be doing based on that today. Uh, and he looked around in college and he said, specifically, not that we should start a company, but we have better access to intellectual capital today than we ever will in the future uh, at a lower opportunity cost. And so we should take advantage of that, which means we should start a company. Hmm. I mean, he's just any – I mean, did he have an, an idea of what – Nope. No. Wow. So when he was like a 20-year-old at Yale, he was like, hey, we're at Yale. We're surrounded by all these like world-class professors. We have access to these amazing libraries and and – resources and they're just part of our tuition let's use it and start a business yeah wow i mean just to think about that and this is like 2004 2005 like that's that's pretty you know yeah pretty prescient oh he absolutely i mean matt is matt's always been a a few years ahead of uh everyone else i think and while you were at college hanging out with these guys presumably you all played a lot of video games together oh yeah uh a lot What, what was your game uh, during college, mostly World of Warcraft, which mm-hmm. came out my freshman year, um, and is you know a incredible game that I, I played for the duration of college. Sure. Uh, and then had to get Justin when we were starting our company right after we graduated. He he had a real talk conversation with me, which I think was very fair. Which is, Emmett, I think you're going to have to choose the video game or the startup. Which 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 is it? Which is it? World of Warcraft or the startup? And I, I chose the startup and and quit World of Warcraft, which I think with you, I think he was right. All right, so Matt had this idea that you guys should should start a company while you're in college. And what was the next step? It was like, okay, let's start a company. Yes, that sounds great. Uh, right. what, should we, what should we do? So Gmail had just come out, you know, summer of 2004. Mm-hmm. So like right before our senior year, I think we all looked at Gmail and we said, this is the future of like software. Like everything's going to be like Gmail in the future. I think we could all just see that. It's, it's, it was like uh, like having desktop software, but better. And what we did was we're like, oh, well, Gmail's missing a calendar. Like there should be a, like Outlook has a calendar. There should be a calendar that goes with a email client. Um, and so we, we just started building it because that seemed like the right thing to do. And I look back at it and there's so many things wrong with the thought process we were going through there. Um, we didn't know who we were building it for. We didn't use calendars. We didn't talk to anyone who used a calendar. We, we really didn't have any idea what would make a good calendar. We, we, weren't, we weren't heavy calendar users. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot of reasons why I don't think we were going to be successful. But the thing we did that, that was super important is we just kept 
grinding on it. We kept working and trying things, uh, even though it was clearly not working. Okay, so you so you you saw in Gmail this kind of new thing. You knew you realized that this was going to be the next thing, and so a calendar integration would be cool. And and j- just out of curiosity, was the idea that that you all had like let's build this calendar, and I think you guys called it Kiko, right? That's right. What did you think the problem people had was that you were solving? Uh, Their calendar isn't on the internet, and it would be better if it was on the internet. I mean, the biggest thing that Google Calendar does and that uh, Calendly does is it lets you run collaborative joint calendars with anyone around the world without having to be on the same exchange server the way that Outlook requires. And that, that was the big win. Basically, we built Google Calendar roughly a year before Google Calendar was released. And it was going to be a sort of a software company, but the idea was let's start with a calendar. Was the idea that you guys had, was it sort of like, let's build it and then Google will buy it from us? Oh, no, not really. Uh, hmm. I don't think we were that sophisticated. It was more like we wanted to do a startup. We didn't really know what that meant or how to go about it. You, We saw this like missing piece of the universe. Like there is a there's a mail application that runs on the internet there should be a calendar application right. that runs on the internet. Right. Let's go make that. And we just made our own separate calendar application that worked like Gmail. And if you'd asked me what our what was our long-range plan, I, I actually think, if I recall, we were going to sell advertising based on the better targeting data of knowing what events were open in your schedule, what times were open for you at night. And you'd be able to opt in basically to like, oh, like, are you interested in... Uh, find this thing for Friday night, like click here, you know, to add it to, to, to search right from your calendar for cool events you could go to, which there's a co- bunch of reasons why that's a colossally terrible way to monetize a calendar, uh, which I did not realize at the time because I wasn't a calendar user. Uh, but that, I'm pretty sure that was our plan. Got it. Okay. So while you were at, at building this and, and students at Yale and presumably like doing your coursework, you, um, you hear about this new thing called Y Combinator, which was headed up by Paul Graham and was one of the really well, kind of early influential incubators and is now, of course, world famous. Um, and you applied for to be part of Y Combinator, I guess, which and they would give you a little bit of money and some support. Um, and what was the – I mean, this was the product that you were uh, you were pitching them, this calendar product? Yeah, I'd been a uh, I'd been a Paul Graham I don't know, it was like a Paul Graham fanboy through college. I'd been read, reading his essays. I lo- you know I loved his writing. When I heard like, oh man, he's doing a incubator. I was like, this is perfect. Uh, this guy's really smart. Uh, he's had a successful startup before, and uh, we had no idea how we would like how to raise money or like what we would do. To- we had this, we're going to start the company, and what that actually meant in terms of doing things was just uh, other than make a product and put it on the internet. We weren't really sure. And so uh, it seemed like this, it was this, what a what an amazing, positive, lucky coincidence that this thing exists now. Um, so we applied. You know, we applied with, with Kiko Calendar, the thing we were building. Um, the original YC was heavy on, like, show us a demo. And the interviews are now 10 minutes. At the time, you got 40 minutes per, uh, per interview. What do you uh, remember about the interview? Was it, I mean, Paul Graham sort of is famous for asking, like, well, what's your monetization strategy and, you know, and, and how, but, but he also has an incredible instinct, obviously. Right. Were you getting hard questions or, or did they seem encouraging? Uh, 
the YC interview always goes kind of the same. It's funny, even then, you had more time, but it's, it's always the same thing, which is, uh, what is it you do again? Oh, how are you going to get customers? Could this be big? Yeah. Oh, how, how, yeah, how are you going to make money? Like, how, how will this make money eventually? And they're not looking to see that you have the right answer because there is no right answer. And I think one thing YC really deeply knows is that it's going to change. But do you, do you, have you thought about this? Do you, do you have an answer? Does your answer make sense, at least in theory? And, uh, and then how do you respond to being challenged? I think what YC is looking for is people who can communicate clearly. But most of all, people who, when they're challenged, they neither rebel nor acquiesce. Um, and I think that's, a, that's one of the most important traits in startup founders, actually. Hmm. And you guys actually get accepted to this program. You get into, uh, into Y Combinator, which I guess uh, was in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time. Um, and, and so you and Justin are working on this thing. And, and I guess at, at the end of your time there, were, were you able to get some real investment? Yeah, we managed to convince two, two of Paul's friends who'd worked with him at Yahoo. We, uh, we convinced them to invest in us. Uh, and give us, I don't know, like a to- between the two of them, I think like $100,000, uh, which is enough to keep running the business for a year, effectively. So as you were working on Kiko Calendar, um, at what point did you have like something you could actually launch and, and put out into the world? Because you started in, in 2005 or 2004. When, when was it ready for people to test it out and try it? We started working on it during college, sort of at the, you know, early part of 2005, we didn't really start working until we graduated and like, you know, uh, had, could do it full time. Uh, we probably launched it three or four months later, something like that. And how did you make people aware of it in, in, in this, in sort of the fall of 2005? I mean, most people are still on dial up at that point. We got uh, we got coverage on TechCrunch. Um, we got like, that was, which was the, which it was sort of getting started around that time. and right. was basically known for doing startup coverage. Uh, we'd, try to get other press sometimes. Uh, but honestly, that's a really good question that we would, we would have, it would have been, the answer is mostly we didn't. Mostly we didn't get very many users. I think in the year and a half we used it, we had 90,000 people sign up for an account, mm-hmm. which, you know, isn't tiny, but over a year and a half on the internet, it's actually not that many. And most of them obviously didn't keep using it. And I think we had some good core instincts on how to design a calendar that worked. Yeah. The problem was we didn't have any instincts about finding an actual customer who might want it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you didn't you you didn't fully understand like the user acquisition side, right? Cuz that's that I mean building it's hard but getting people to adopt and use it is arguably harder. I would say even yes, we kind of imagined what we thought people who use calendars were like mm-hmm. and then tried to solve that imaginary person's problem. Yeah. But at no point did we go talk to actual calendar users. Huh. But fundamentally we were completely right. Gmail should have a calendar. Well, it turns out Google built the, did the falling off a log obvious thing and created Google Calendar. Of course, they were going to create Google Calendar. Right. At what point did you come to the conclusion, did you and Justin come to the conclusion that it was not viable? This was not going to, this was not going to become a sustainable business? About two months after Google Calendar came out, we right. finally admitted to ourselves, <laughs> we have no ideas for how to make our calendar better than Google Calendar. Right. And Google has a massive, massive engineering, distribution, resource, everything, brand advantage over us. And we we don't even have any ideas for how to make our thing better. Uh, and we're way behind and we should give up. And we had to, we were faced then with like, well, okay, what do we do with it? Yeah. I mean, because you worked hard on it. I mean, you could just kill it. 
you could presumably look for maybe somebody to buy it, but maybe nobody was going to buy it. So did, did you kind of start to go down that road? Yeah, we our, our thought process was, well, we don't want to do this anymore. We've built this thing and like the, the code's fine. Like it, it's a, it works. It is a calendar. It's a web calendar that exists. Someone must want this. Where could we sell our startup? And we decided, well, the obvious place to sell it would be on uh, on eBay because eBay is famous for hosting, you know, selling weird stuff at the time. Um, still today, I guess it is. And so we we created an eBay auction to sell our startup. We just we just made a listing that said, you know, for sale Kiko calendar uh, asset sale all of the assets of the startup, including the domain name, the logo, all the wow. uh, you know software. Uh, all the customer relationships. Uh, we will sell you the whole thing. And uh, uh, two cows in Toronto bought it. What, what is, that? is that a as a software company? Yeah, it's a it's they were a domain registrar. Got it. So this this company was basically buying the domain name, the underlying software, you know, and 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 the you know the 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 code, everything. And the domain name was Kiko.com. Yep, Kiko.com. How 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 much did they pay you for it? Or would they buy it on eBay for? It was on eBay. I believe two hundred sixty-five thousand dollars was the winning bid. Wow! We had like Thirteen bidders, and once you, it was an asset sale. So once you paid taxes on it, paid off the investors, uh, and and you you dividended out all the money. Uh, Justin and I walked away each with I think about sixty-five grand. Wow, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty good. I felt really, like that. Given that we take the, taken this huge risk and like started a startup, I felt great about that. W- were there other examples of this of, of other tech startups selling their Companies on eBay? No, no one else. Had, had no one else because you would you sell like old baseball cards or like yeah, totally. Which is why it was genius because it meant we got all this press coverage, which meant that everyone heard about it. Like the biggest part about selling an asset like this is getting the buyers to hear it. It's even happening. Right. 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 And so uh, it was a very clever way to basically generate a bunch of publicity, which I think was a lesson that really we took with us to Justin TV. Yeah. All right. So it's it's 2006. You've sold uh, Kiko. For mm-hmm. and you guys each have about sixty five grand, and did you both immediately know that you were going to together once again start something new? We didn't even talk about it. It was just assumed. Hmm. Like, like I, I can't remember. I don't remember a conversation. I don't think we we're like, oh, should we start another startup together? It was like, what startup will we start together? What's next? Was the only question. Yeah. I think the other thing we did during Kiko that's super important to, to remember is like. Uh, every two or three weeks, we'd get, I don't know, bored, dispirited. It wasn't taking off. And we'd have some other great idea. Like we had this idea we were going to build a, a social network for families or we were going to build uh, uh, YouTube but for audio. And we would then go build and launch these products in like a – we'd like spend three weeks and we'd do a sprint and we'd just build this product from scratch and we'd launch it. And then it wouldn't take off orig- immediately. Right. And we'd get dispirited and we'd go back to working on Kiko Calendar. And so we probably built – six startups in 18 months. We, I think we had this mental model that the way you had success in startups is you have this great idea and you build it and then you launch it and people are like, wow, this is amazing. And they just like, immediately it starts working. That was our mental model for like what success looked like. And so we just, you know, we'll just take more shots. So we just, we took like six shots on goal on having something that would instantly take off. And of course, that that is not how it works and none of them worked. But through that process, we learned so much about how to build things, how people react when you launch something. And it was this real, it was like grad school for, for 
building a software company. Hmm. Wow. So so after you guys sold Kiko, and, and by the way, at this point, you've graduated college, right? And and you're I think you're still in the Boston area. Were you still getting advice from Paul Graham? Oh, yeah. Paul was super encouraging. Um, Paul's superpower is you talk to him about the, what you're working on or what you might work on, and you walk away feeling like you could – you're not only could you take over the world, but like you're on to something and like you're going to. Hmm. Like this is, this is bigger than you think. And uh, I really, really appreciated that. And so basically what happened was we, we were like, okay, Paul, we figured it out. We want to go do this company. And he's like, all right, hit me with the idea. And uh, the idea we brought to him was uh, we were going to make a service to let you print a blog or a, you know, f- uh, a Flickr website as a coffee table book, oh. which was a, t- a terrible yeah. idea. And he was like, that's not a good idea, basically. What, what else do you have? Maybe you have a second idea that's better than that one. We're like, okay, well, we do have this other idea. We had this idea. Basically, our conversations are really interesting. People would love to listen to us talk, which... I don't know if that was true, but we we had the delusion. We should just record all of our conversations and then upload them. Oh, well, that's 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 too much work. We should just record all of our conversations and stream them live all the time because we're not going to bother to cut them and upload them. Okay, well, if we're just going to st- stream our audio live all the time, why don't we just like stream everything, audio and video, live all the time? And we're like, sort of thought that was funny and then left it there. Uh, and then we started telling people like that was our startup idea. And I remember uh, Chuck Foreman at a, at a YC, a little YC, like after, after happy hour thing, told Justin, like, you're, you're full of shit. You're never going to work on that. Um, and I think, I honestly think in some ways that was the deciding moment. We're like, yeah, we will. We'll show you. <laughs> but uh, uh, Paul saw that this was bigger than we thought it was. It wasn't just us streaming. He was like, oh, you could let anyone do this. That could be a new form of entertainment. And we were like, yeah, totally. We could let anybody do this. Hmm. And he's like, great. And we got a $50,000 check to go wow. start our next thing. So it was basically just on the strength of this idea that Paul Graham was like, yep, I believe in you guys. And I want to put $50,000 into this idea. This is actually just how I would say a lot of angel investing in in Silicon Valley, or in this case in Cambridge, but like tech angel investing works. Uh in the beginning, the investable asset is not the idea, and it's not the execution, and it's n- not the research or whatever. The a- investable asset is the founders. Yeah. And you're much better off investing in a good team that has no idea what they're doing, uh, or they're with a bad idea, than a bad team with a good idea, or even a even a okay team with a good idea. Um, and Paul thought we were a good team, which I think, in retrospect, he was right. We were a good team. Um, and so on the strength of the team, uh, we got we got fifty grand to start our next thing. When we come back in just a moment, how Emmett and Justin use that money to launch a live stream of Justin's life, capturing every minute of his day, including sleeping and bathroom breaks, and how that experiment eventually turns into Twitch. Stay with us. I'm Guy Raz, and you're listening to How I Built This. As a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. 
B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. Isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions for you and your customers. LinkedIn Ads allow you to build the right relationships, drive results, and reach your customers in a respectful environment. You'll be able to drive results with targeting and measurement tools built specifically for B2B. In technology, LinkedIn generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social media platforms. I've talked to hundreds of founders and business leaders every day on this show, and I've learned that LinkedIn has been vital to the growth of their companies. It helps them build relationships with customers and get direct access to thousands of decision makers. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash built this to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash built this. Terms and conditions apply. TurboTax makes all your moves count. Filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to concert tickets, or sold Hollywood memorabilia, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Hey, so if you're a business owner or hiring manager struggling to attract and retain top talent, it's no secret that finding the right employees and keeping them engaged can be an uphill battle. Fortunately, there's Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices, and your people will get the training tools they need to thrive. Download their free ebook at insperity.com for tips to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your goals. Spend less time worrying about recruitment and retention and more time growing your business. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Hey, welcome back to How I Built This. I'm Guy Raz. So it's around 2006, 2007, and Justin and Emmett are kicking around an idea for their next business, an idea that at the time seems kind of bizarre, turning a camera on themselves and streaming it. The first idea was just, we should do a live stream of Justin's life. Right. Uh, EVDO modem cards, which were the very first generation of sort of on-the-go internet, had just become available. So you could you could get broadband video streaming capable internet uh, anywhere there was cell coverage, uh, like literally six months before that. Yeah. So it had just become technically possible. And explain how this would work. Um, we, like he would wear a webcam or there would be a videographer following him around or or what? Yeah, well, we, we couldn't afford a videographer to follow him around 24-7. That's expensive. So he's just going to have to wear the webcam and be the cameraman also, which in retrospect, having someone be the cameraman and also the talent doesn't make any sense, but we couldn't afford to do it expensive. So that that, that was the solution. Hmm. But I think you, you, you were able to build out the team a little bit, right? Because I think around this time you brought on somebody new named Michael Seibel, uh, who, who was a friend of Justin's. That's right. Justin reflected and noticed correctly that we kind of had uh, 
a highly distractible way of engaging with our startup where we we wouldn't stay on target and we wouldn't we would we would jump at the new shiny thing. We got we got overly inspired too quickly. And he basically thought we needed adult supervision, not like an older person, but someone who would like be a little more reasonable and uh, and steady. And Michael's a very steady, calm, also very smart person. And Justin was like, I think we need Michael on the team. And in retrospect, he was totally right. Michael was an incredible addition. And I guess you guys decide to launch Justin TV, not in, in Boston, but, but to go to San Francisco to launch it. Yeah, because if you're going to start a tech company, San Francisco is like the place to do it. I mean, it's still yeah. now, but especially then, um, Silicon Valley. And so we, we piled all of our stuff into my Honda Civic, uh, all of our worldly possessions, me, Justin, uh, Michael, and all of our stuff. And we drove across the country at like a sprint pace. It took us four days from New York to uh, San Francisco because we were convinced that like we taking two extra days to go, you know, stop along the way was too much time. We need to get started right away. And in retrospect, that was crazy. Like, of course, we could have taken a day to stop. But I think the sense of urgency was was important. Like it was, it was silly for us not to stop driving across the country. And if we'd been the kind of people who would have stopped driving across the country, maybe we wouldn't have succeeded. Because you kind of have to have this feeling like it's really important. We got to go. Like we had to go fast. Yeah. So you. So when you arrived to San Francisco, I think you launched it in around March of 2007. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Yep. Okay. And and the idea was, all right, we're going to 20 24 hour live stream of this guy Justin's life, this totally unknown person. And ju- it wasn't that, and I'm trying to understand this, because it wasn't that it was Justin was like this sort of this exhibitionist. It was more like he was he was the guinea pig that would essentially be the test case for what this could be. Is Or, 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 or is he an exhibitionist? I don't know. I'd say it's a little bit of both. Like, I don't, exhibitionist isn't maybe the quite the word I'd, I'd use. Justin's always wanted a little bit to be famous. There's a reason why he's you know mm-hmm. runs a Snapchat channel and he has right. a YouTube channel now. Right. right. He has all these Twitter followers. Like, he's always wanted to be famous. And so I think it was both an opportunity for him to go become a little famous, you know, right. in a minor way, and also he we were a guinea pig for the system we wanted to build at the same time. So it was a good fit. And it was his perspective, right? The camera was would be mounted on his head, but also there'd be cameras inside the apartment? Mostly it was just from his perspective all the time. Right. And sometimes he'd take the camera off and point it at himself while he was right. doing something. But it was his perspective most of the time uh, walking around. Actually, one of the big things we discovered was almost immediately, people liked him taking off the camera and talking to them more than they liked almost anything he could be doing. Hmm. If he was doing something really interesting, like he's taking a trapeze lesson or something, then the point of view camera could be interesting. But 98% of the time, you actually would rather have him just be sitting at the computer talking to chat, which right. is, in fact, how everyone does it today, because that was actually just more compelling as content. Was it – I mean, he would walk into a restaurant or a, or a bar or a store or something, and, and I guess this – people probably didn't know what was going on. Like, people didn't know that they were on this video stream, Right. Um, it's interesting, right? It was a stunt. I think we learned something from the eBay experience, which was if you do something that's a little bit provocative and crazy that people want to talk about, people will talk about you. Yeah. Um, so, th- so that definitely worked. When we were walking around San Francisco, 
people might not have understood that they were on a live stream, but they definitely understood there was a camera. It was novel. I think now everything, everyone, well, first of all, everyone's being recorded all the time because of smartphones. Yeah. But it's, there's a whole culture around it at the time. It was like, oh, cool. Am I on camera? Like, what's, what are you filming? Well, what's going on? What did he do when he slept? We, we put the camera on a tripod and pointed it at him. As he slept? He watched Justin sleep. Yep. What about when he took a, what about when he took a shower? 24-7, even in the bathroom. Um, in the bathroom, we'd, we'd point it at like the wall, um, or like okay. a shower curtain or something. But uh, but you could hear, you could hear like, if you went, yep. if you went pee, yep, you, you could, could hear, hear, hear it going pee. That's right. Wow. There was a whole thing. One time he, he neglected to wash his hands. There became this whole meme and chat of them, people making fun of him and reminding him to wash his hands every time he went to the bathroom from that point forward. And what about, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to say this because this is like not, I, you know, I don't really go there normally. But what about like, his, you know, romantic life? I mean, what, did, did, did was it just, how did he handle that? He went on some dates. I mean, he was up front with, you know, what he was doing. Um, yeah. I don't think any of them went that well most of the time because like you know it's right. it's a like awkward experience <laughs> okay. uh but uh there was an incredible experience after he, he went on one of the dates where it just felt like it went well and uh uh he was walking home and people start streaming out of the buildings where all of our friends lived around there and they ever start streaming out of the building and coming up to him and congratulating him on having had a good date and you you're, you watch the date and then you're watching that and that was a really interesting like that was a cool experience like there was a you could see this like glimmer of something happening there uh, that was kind of dynamic and interesting. And I mean, people knew where where you lived. Like you were getting people were sending like hundreds of pizzas to your door and like calling nine one one, and the police would show up because they, they they there was a report of like a a robbery or right. I mean, all kinds of things were happening in your apartment. Yeah, we all the harassment that streamers deal with today. We we got in spades because we were the one the one target. Um, I had a gun pulled on me. Um, there's a uh, they had a they reported a stabbing in our apartment, and the police came in, weapons drawn, and uh, you know I had a, a, a pistol pulled on me uh, by the police. Uh, they they pretty quickly realized, wait, this is a bunch of engineers like in their underwear programming, like this is not a stabbing. But uh, that was a really scary moment, and uh, you know we had we had the fire trucks called, and even if the fire trucks had showed up, we would deal with it off camera so that. You, there wasn't a reward for the person doing it. And that, uh, it definitely, uh, over time, cut down on the amount of harassment we experienced. D- did you, having launched, I mean, when you launched Justin.tv, did did that attract investors? Were there investors who were like, hey, this there's something here? Did you start to get interest? <laughs> no. No. Uh, about 100,000 people watched it in the first month. And our CDN bills just started piling up. CDNs like for the a content delivery network for the video, and yeah. we wound up with just these huge bandwidth bills. And we like we're, we were like, oh crap, we have to raise money stat. Uh, so then we went out hat in hand trying to raise money uh, and really struggled because they thought it was a gimmick. They just were like, well, who? What is this? This is like tabloidy. I mean, is that, is that what uh, the response was? I think it was more like, how is this going to get ten times bigger? Right. Like, what's the pathway for this to get really big? Uh, but some number of investors believed we got, we raised, I think from about, from like five investors, we raised like maybe $350,000 total, which mm-hmm. was enough to pay our bandwidth bills for a little bit and keep us going. Right. And once we launched to let anyone stream, uh, that started driving more growth for us. But, but the first nine months, I think it was just Justin's life, right? In real time. Maybe for six, I think. Six months. Yeah. I mean, 
it sounds really boring. I mean, 24 hours a day of anyone's life. I don't care if you're like, I don't know, like a Marvel superhero. Like e- even parts of your day are going to be boring. Every Everyone sleeps like eight hours a day, roughly, right? Like that's <laughs> right. definitionally one third of the time. If you are the most interesting right. possible human, you're still not interesting. Um, no. no, no, this was a terrible idea. Like fundamentally terrible. A 24-7 live stream is a gimmick. Um, it was a good gimmick. It got us a lot of attention. And then the other people who were streaming on Justin TV using the technology didn't do 24-7 streams. They did they did three-hour streams of something interesting. Right. And uh, I think Justin TV worked to some degree because our actual customer was the streamer. And because we were trying to build something that worked for us as a streamer, uh, we built something that actually worked because we deeply understood the needs of our customers because we were the customer. Right. We discovered actually very early on, although we didn't, I don't think we fully realized it at the time, people found community hanging out watching Justin. And I think that was the, that was a really big insight. And uh, uh, we did a lot of things right leaning into that, making chat good, making moderation good. And how many people, as you as you made it available to anyone, did you was there like a flood of people coming in? We had a pretty long beta list. Um, you know, a few hundred people signed up for the beta. Uh, in the first month of the beta, we had probably 80 people streaming. And then as we opened it up, we had hundreds, thousands of people stream, eventually tens of thousands. And what were they streaming? What were people doing on it? All kinds of stuff. One, one, so one guy did street art um, and streamed himself, like, you know, doing sidewalk art and stuff like that. I, Justine had a show. We had talk shows. We had uh, we had some gaming. We, we did some of the very early gaming streams. We hooked up our Xbox and we streamed uh, ourselves playing Call of Duty. And how, how what were your biggest expenses at the time? I mean, I'm assuming you guys were not paying yourselves much, but still you had to pay for servers and uh, what else? What, 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 were, your, what were your expenses? Uh, rent, 500 bucks a month each and spending money. And then yeah. infinite bandwidth bills forever that were constantly yeah. crushing us. It was so expensive. Um, those delivering the video was was really expensive. And, and and so how did you finance it with just a few hundred thousand dollars? Uh, we went and we raised we raised more money. So about six months later, I can't remember, I'm trying to remember exactly when we raised our Series A. Mm-hmm. We raised two million dollars, and uh, uh, two million dollars was enough for us to you know continue. We could hire some employees. We could continue paying our bandwidth bills. And then we were like running out of money again. At this point, we'd grown quite a bit, which was great, except we weren't, we had still made no money. We had not turned on any monetization. But how did you, as you started to acquire or as you started to get more more and more users, you were Mm -hmm. not monetizing it. The idea had been, hey, we'll eventually just have, have advertising around this. Yeah. It's literally just like YouTube. The idea had been, we'll, we'll sell ads. Eventually, and I think everyone else looks at us and they're like, "You're going to get crushed by YouTube, yeah. more or less." Yeah, was, the, was was what they thought, right? Because YouTube, I mean, the idea was that YouTube would just become a live streaming platform, and you would that that would be the end of Justin TV. Right, and they did actually eventually launch uh, YouTube Live like five years later, but but it took them a while. Right, and so then we we raise uh, we raise we raise an additional I think four million dollars, six million dollars mm-hmm. plus two million in venture debt, something like that. Yeah. And then the 2008 crash happened. And thank God we raised that money when we did because... Because you would have been in, in trouble. We, we would have been dead. 
nobody was nobody was giving money out. No, yes. no one was was you could not raise money after the financial crisis, especially not for a money losing business. That's whole. That's like, don't worry, we'll figure out monetization later. And so, immediately after the crash, we were kind of like, oh man, we we've got to get profitable. <laughs> so, so what'd you do? How did you do that? Well, the first thing we did was we just threw Google AdWords on the site because that was the fastest way to get some money immediately. Right. Uh, we sold our we, we made our mobile apps cost money. It's funny, like that that sounds so ridiculous now. Like, of course, the Twitch app is free, but we were just pulling every lever we could to try to make make money. Okay. So so one of the ideas was was a mobile app, and mobile was new. I mean, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. This is like early early days. Yeah, we were we were pretty early to making mobile apps. It was that was another thing where it was very clear mobile was the future. All right. So. Some money's coming in, but I, I have to assume it's not quite enough yet. Uh, actually, over the course of the year, by relentlessly cutting every cost we could cut, putting advertising everywhere we could think to put an ad, yeah. and charging money for the mobile apps. And I can't remember, there's probably other list of other things we did too that I, I'm forgetting now. We got to profitability. Hmm. Um, we had a doomsday clock on the wall where we, we had a weekly all hands with the employees. And every... Every all hands were like, we are eight months from bankruptcy. We are seven months from bankruptcy. <laughs> we are six months. And at first it was falling at like, uh, you know, we're at 14. And then the yeah. next month we'd be at 12. It was like accelerating because as we grew, it was costing more money every month. Yeah. And then, but then as we started to bring monetization online, we started to pull out of the dive. And the worst all hands was we are eight weeks from running out of money. Uh, wow. And then we were 10 weeks from running out of money. And then we were... Uh, you know, 20 weeks from running out of money, and then we were we'd hit profitability. And but it wasn't. I'm assuming it wasn't massive profitability. Uh, we set a goal for the company that we get. We we wanted to make a million dollar. We wanted a run rate of a million dollars a year of profit. Mm-hmm. Of profit. Wow. Yeah. Of profit. Because we once we got going, it was fun. We were good at it, and we said we'd take the whole company to Hawaii if we got to a million dollars in profit. Which at the time we were making like ten thousand dollars of profit. We thought it was impossible, and. Six months later, we'd we'd gotten to a million dollars a year run rate, so, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month of profit. Wow, and that was purely through the, the that triple strat or that strategy of cutting costs, just advertising wherever you could get ads, and the mobile app. The the those were the the tactics, but like the underlying thing we did was sit down every month and ask ourselves, like, go through the whole P and L, every cost, every every line revenue line it up and ask how could we make this bigger what else could we do what else could we cut wow and just it's just relentless focus on on those lists and how many people did you have working for you at, in 2009 10 at the start maybe like 40 by mm-hmm. the end i think like 24 because we had we did a, we, had, we had to do a layoff because we just we couldn't you couldn't afford all those people we couldn't afford all those people yeah and how many users do you do you, do you remember how many users did you have around 2010 um, I think like 50, 60 million a month. Wow. So that's a lot. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was big. Yeah. So it was, it was already pretty, it was already pretty big. Okay. I guess, I guess around this time you start to think about, you know, the kind of taking this to the next level and you guys started to talk about maybe trying out different strategies, different products. Tell me about the, the conversation. What did you start to think about doing? So we had succeeded at getting profitable, but then in doing so, we'd entirely killed our growth and we were no longer growing. Hmm. 
And we, we started trying to reignite growth and we had all these ideas for these products we'd build and they pretty much all failed in a variety of different ways. And so we were kind of bumbling around and, uh, God, who was it? This guy from, who'd been like at YouTube, it's like a VC, you know, he came by and he told us like, you're doomed. Hmm. Like you reigniting growth is almost impossible once it stops. And, uh, and if you're not growing on the internet, you're dying. And why weren't you growing? I understand that you cut costs, but what? What? How? Explain how that connects to 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 the slow slowing down of your growth. We'd been we've been adding advertising, which makes it a worse experience. Right. Uh, we'd been adding paywalls in a bunch of places, um, and more to the point, I think we'd kind of like hit the natural size of the people using the thing we were doing without improving the product further. Right. And so. We we kind of had this moment. The the founding team is basically like, no, he's right. We got we gotta we gotta have a second act. What are we gonna do? And we started having these conversations about that. Like, what what do we do? How do we actually reignite growth? Yeah. What what should we focus on? What is yeah. the what is the next thing we should do? And uh, I think we all said, well, it's pretty clear that the biggest thing in live video, based on what we've built so far and look looking around, is actually uh, corporate, you know, webinars and. And video hmm. conferences, yeah, and we could go build that business. And we were all like, "Yeah, that's probably a big multi-billion-dollar business." Yeah, does, any, does anyone want to work on that? No. Okay, we're not doing that. <laughs> like, we just didn't want yeah. to do enterprise software. And, and that would have been—I mean, look at how successful sure. Zoom is now, right? Like, right. That would have been—I th- I think we were right, but instead, we we were just not interested in enterprise. You were not interested because in, it was boring. Mm-hmm. You thought it was boring. We thought it was boring. We just we didn't want to do enterprise sales. We knew what that was going to we, we had friends doing enterprise companies and we knew what that was going to get us into. It's not building great beautiful software uh, to win. It's building good enough software and great sales. And we right. just that wasn't what we got into the game to do, I don't think. I mean, consumer software is like buying lottery tickets. You have no idea like when it's really successful, the biggest consumer oriented companies are incredibly successful. Right. Uh, enterprise software is a little more rational. Um, maybe more boring, but like yeah, the the pathway to success is more controllable. We decided we'd like to buy more lottery tickets instead. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's why everyone knows what Facebook and Google is, right? But but not everyone knows what like SAP is, even, right. even though it's a huge company. That's right. Exactly. All right. Okay. All right. So you guys are at this point, you're kind of at a crossroads, right? And from from what I understand, you had a couple of different ideas about where you wanted to take the company. Um, like like Michael Seibel, who was running Justin TV at this point, he he had one idea, you had another idea. Uh, so so what was yours? What did you want to do? Uh, the StarCraft II beta had just come out, and StarCraft II was a sequel to a game I played as a child, uh, the original StarCraft, and I was so excited because I like I I couldn't believe they'd finally made a sequel after like you know ten years. Can you just describe what StarCraft is? I mean, I know we've had we've done Riot Games on the show and others, so I know League of Legends and World of Warcraft. I don't know. I can't picture StarCraft. StarCraft is – think of like Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. If you've seen the movie, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, bug aliens versus okay. uh, All right. Terran space marines. So you're, you're looking at the battlefield from the top down, but you're building an army and you're commanding it. Uh, versus other players. I see. Okay. I got you. So and, – and you love playing this game. And this game had been – there was a streaming element to this game already? Yeah. So the original StarCraft is a very deep multiplayer competitive game. Think of it, playing it is kind of like playing real-time chess plus poker 
at the same time. It uh, has a very high skill cap. It's possible to get very, very good at it. Okay. And so in South Korea, particularly, it really took off. And there were basically, you know, esports stars became like, you know, StarCraft stars became like celebrities. And they had a cable TV channel devoted to, you know, the matches. And it became a whole, a whole league. Um, and there was a whole culture around watching the very best StarCraft players. And was anybody putting that content onto Justin TV when it became available? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was uh, how I uh, got interested in the idea in the first place. People started – Justin TV always had a smaller, small amount, 1%, 2% of gaming content. And so the StarCraft II beta came out. A bunch of people started streaming it. They'd run so- screen capture software. Like, you know, when you're on a Zoom call and you, like, you like share your screen. Yep. So they, they do screen share with the video game plus their webcam sort of overlaid on top so you could see their face. But this was a tiny number of people who were consuming this content. Yeah. It's maybe – it was maybe 50 streamers and like maybe in total 500,000 people a month. OK. But you liked this as just – even though you worked for Justin TV, as a consumer, you liked that? It was the first time I'd ever actually enjoyed watching my own product. Like we'd been running an entertainment product for like four years at this point, And I was like, this is fun. I like watching this live. This is great. I can ask the pro questions. I'm hanging out with other people who also like the same thing I do. And I know that if uh, other gamers who I know understood what I would the, had the experience I'm having and understood it, they'd like it too. And so I was like, I think there's something here. I think if we focus on this, we could grow something really big. I think gaming is the vertical for us to work on. Even though it was just one or two percent. So, so a tiny, a tiny subset of people who were who were doing gaming, but you thought, you know, this is really. I think, I think people want to watch other people play video games. Yeah, I mean, I don't just think I did. I I, I wanted to do it, and yeah. I was like, I don't think I'm alone. Okay, but again, at the time, Michael, uh, who's the CEO, had a very different idea of where he wanted to take the company. So, yeah, what was his idea? Michael's insight was. It was obvious mobile apps were going to be massive. There's going to be a wave of social media, mobile stuff, and we should focus on being video for mobile. No one had done great video for mobile yet. There's a lot right. of photo right. apps, but not a lot of video. Right. This was before. This was before like Meerkat and Periscope came out. This was right? before Instagram had videos. Right. This was before before Snapchat. Like this was there was no there was no video recording stuff on mobile yet, really. And so we had these two ideas, and we're like, we don't know which one is right. Hmm. I felt pretty strongly mine seemed good. Michael felt pretty strongly his team seemed good. We both thought the other person's made sense. So we got together as the founders, and we had like a four-hour meeting to figure out what to go do. And the conclusion was they're both likely to fail. Yeah. Like doing anything new and risky is likely to fail. So let's fund two Skunk Works initiatives internally. We'll take resources away from Justin TV. We'll give each of them, you know, two or three employees plus the founder who are going to go focus on doing that thing. And Justin will sort of continue to run the core business in the meantime. And we set these basically growth bars. And whichever one exceeds the growth targets we hit uh, for the first three months, we will pivot the company to do that. Right. And, and so I sort of grabbed all the Justin TV infrastructure and focused it on sort of Customizing Justin TV, building Justin TV to be better for uh, gamers. When we come back in just a moment, how Emmett is warned that gaming will never be more than a niche business and how that niche grows. 
to tens of millions of users. Stay with us. I'm Guy Raz, and you're listening to How I Built This. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. Now, picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. There are over 200 classes to pick from, like Anna Wintour's Masterclass on Creativity and Leadership that's helped lots of people learn new ways to nurture talent and make bold decisions, two things that are essential for any leader or entrepreneur. Plus, Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash built. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash built. Masterclass.com slash built. Our friends at Corient provide wealth management services centered around you. And you know what? Corient's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Corient can help high achievers just like you preserve your wealth and provide for the people, causes, and communities you care about. Corient has extensive knowledge across the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management. They're one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and they have deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations, teams that put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Hey, welcome back to How I Built This. I'm Guy Raz. So it's early 2011, and Justin TV has basically split into two separate businesses, a mobile video service and a gaming platform that will soon become Twitch. The first thing I did was I asked myself, I I had had this realization, I need to actually know who I'm building for. I need, like, I'm I'm tired. I, I I was sick of failing. Uh, at product. Yeah. And I was like, I need to know what the actual problems are. And the first thing I asked myself was, who's more important here? Do I need to, do I need to build stuff to make it better for the viewers or do I need to bi- build stuff to make it better for the streamers? And obviously they impact each other, but like, who is my focus? And I realized there were about 200 people who are streaming video games across every service, including ours, who garnered maybe 80% of the total audience at the time. And I was like, oh, I just need to make them happy. I can talk to those 200 people. Right. So just to be clear, there were other com- competing services that, that were doing something like this? Oh, yeah. I mean, and and bigger than us, too. So like Ustream was a, a live streaming competitor. They had more gaming and they were bigger than us. Uh, Livestream.com. There was a European startup owned 3D that was, I think, already functioning at this point. Those were the primary competitors in the beginning. And so we did all these little customizations to Justin TV. Um, we, we promoted the gaming content more. We made the front page promote a lot of gaming content more. And I just went out and I talked to 
a ton of streamers. And I just wanted to understand, like, how did you get started streaming? And what do you like about it? What do you get out of this? Mm -hmm. And the biggest surprise for me was how much they wanted to make money. Hmm. Um, And not because they wanted to make a living. Like, they knew they would be – I was like, you know you're going to be making, like, $17 a month given how big your audience is and how much money we can make you. And the streamers would say, like, yeah, totally. I know that. Uh, that would be amazing. I would love to make $17 a month streaming video games. And I was like, okay, like, I believe you. And so one of the very first things we did is we started this partner program where you could press a button and we would roll a mid-roll on your channel and we would give you half the money. An an advertisement. An advertisement, a mid-roll advertisement Mm -hmm. in the middle of your stream. Press button, run ad, get money. And it was, we invited like 50 people and they loved it. It was super popular, even though they weren't making that much money uh, in the beginning. Right. I think by by June of that year, of 2011, you you essentially moved Justin TV Gaming to a different site called Twitch. That you That's called right. Twitch at that point. And, and that name, Twitch, wh- where did that come from? Uh, so we had been calling it Justin TV Gaming. We decided it needed its own brand and its own home over time for a variety of reasons. And all the names we had for the product were bad uh, at the time. And I literally like locked myself at a conference room and just for two days, just like went through, looked for domain names I could buy, looked for stuff that was available. And eventually I found Twitch through just free associating words associated with gaming. And Twitch gaming is a kind of like, you know, fast reaction gaming. Yeah. Well, it's a muscle, right? It's your Twitch muscles. Yeah. Fast Twitch muscles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of had a correlation with like the liveness of the streaming. In, in addition to gaming. And so I was like, okay, right. that kind of makes sense. And I could, most importantly, I could get the domain. Uh, and we told everyone it was Twitch, and Twitch it was. And Jacob, our uh, our, our designer, made a logo in like two hours, uh, and we, we launched it. I mean, you look, you look at it now and you think, oh, that's a no-brainer. People want to – I mean, this is a huge, massive, growing industry, right? Creators, gamers, et cetera. But – I mean, in 2011, I th- I would think that there were lots of people, because there still are people today who say this, but there are lots of people who are saying, who would want to watch other people play video games on the internet? I mean, totally. h- how many times did people say that to you? I, I mean, I used to get that question every interview. Now I'd say it's only half of in all interviews. Then usually what I would do, actually, is I'd ask them, well, first of all, just tell me, what do you watch TV? Oh, well, what do you watch? Oh, you, you like uh, you like watching uh, the NFL. You like watching football. Oh, interesting. So you like watching someone else throw a ball around rather than you throwing the ball. Fascinating. Well, it turns out people who like video games do the same thing. People like watching other people do stuff. It's a core human desire. Right. But uh, it never worked. Nobody nobody gets it. You can't explain right. it that way. Because they would say people would people would have said, yeah, but I mean, come on, I mean, Tom yeah. Brady is he's a he's an athlete, and he's you yeah. know, or they would say, you know, watching you know LeBron James play is 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 there's is superhuman. I mean, a video gamer like people would say, right? They would say that to you. Yeah, boxer is is was potentially the most famous Korean StarCraft player. If you've if you've never watched boxer execute a three site. Uh, drop tank attack at the same time, uh, you don't understand the level StarCraft can be played at. It is a thing of art. Um, right. But th- the best news fundamentally is you don't need, I don't need them to understand it because I got it and the people watching right. got it, the people streaming got it because 
for the people who loved it, it was self-evident. The instant they saw it, like, they were like, oh, this is, yes, this is what I want. This is what I've been waiting for. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, when you finally launch it as a standalone site, um, what, they they just, all of a sudden, this community kind of began to coalesce and, and just start, they just started walking into the front door of, of, of Twitch? No, so what's interesting is uh, we'd been growing at 25%, 30% a month for almost nine months before we ever launched Twitch. Like, I, I was, it was fully validated by the time that we were launching a new domain name. And that was simply because you were improving Justin TV gaming for gamers? We, we, had, we had a very simple closed-loop growth strategy. We would make the product better for, for game streaming. We would go out to all the game streamers and say, we've made the product better. You should try it out. Hey, we'll pay you $1,000 to, like, switch services hmm. um, you know, for the larger streamers. Or some of them would tell us, no, you don't do this, you don't do that. And that would become our future request list. And we would go, we, we wouldn't always build the thing they suggested, but we would go, we would go solve the problem they were pointing out. And we, the, we, we'd make the service a little better. And then we'd go out and we'd recruit more streamers. And every time a streamer came on, they would onboard all of their audience. They would tell everyone who followed them online, hey, come check me out on Twitch. And then those people would watch the streamer they came to watch, but also spread out and watch other streamers. And it became this cascading, like, exponential growth process where the bigger we were, the easier it was to recruit more streamers who could then bring across more of an audience, which would then let us recruit more streamers, et cetera, et cetera. And what could the viewer do initially? I mean, could – was it passive where you were watching somebody play a game and you would see their face – talking into a microphone about what they were doing or or was there a chat already um, integrated into it where you could you could actually you know write your comments from the very beginning on just TV gaming all the way through when we launched twitch and through the whole time there was always a webcam of the person's face over the over the video mm-hmm. uh, talking to the audience because you're th- you're there you come for the video you come for the for the uh, entertainment and the the gaming content. But you actually stay for the relationship and for the chat and for the connection. That's been a core part. That was a core part of the Justin show. It was a core part of Justin TV. You can talk to the people making it and they can react to you and you can impact what is happening on the stream in real time. So you, you make this available, right? And, and of course, this exists. There are other streaming services. But I wonder, I mean, I'm thinking of like streaming movies. Like if you started, if, if, if somebody went on Justin TV and started to just like play a Disney movie. I mean, Disney would go nuts, right? And they you would shut they it would be shut down instantly. Why weren't the video game companies similarly irritated by this? Cuz essentially, they could have said, "Hey, somebody's monetize somebody's like making money off this thing that is ours and we sell this product." Did did any of the video game companies push back on it? Um, we got we got some incoming requests where people were like, "Hey, you're monetizing our IP." Right. And our response is always the same. You're totally right, and that's totally your IP. And if you don't want us to do it, just tell us. We'll we'll turn it off. We'll tell every streamer stop streaming your game. And the re- reaction to that was universally the same. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's not be hasty, because they recognize the truth that watching a movie on for free on a service instead of buying the movie to watch it is a substitution for your, what you're doing. But watching right. someone else play a game is actually marketing. Because the then you want to buy the game. Then you want to buy the game or you want to play the game more. You want to buy the sequel. And like it's just good for you. You can't pay for that kind of advertising. If anything, they should be paying us, which in fact 
mostly they do. They buy advertising with us. So if anything, game companies would like even more exposure um, rather than less. Yeah. And that was actually that insight was one of the reasons I was so excited about gaming. It's, I pushed us to go into gaming because I was like, this is the only category where we have this great IP and the people who own the IP are excited about us using it. So, all right. This this is really taking off. Like, I mean, I think within a year and a half, it's got 20 million users. Um, and was it, I mean, we're, we're in, at that point, were investors just like banging down your door to get involved in this thing? Nope. Huh. We talked to 40 VCs. Everyone turned us down. Why? What, what were they saying? The same thing? Who's going to watch people play video games? It's a niche. It's great. You found something cool. It's, it's a niche. niche. It's okay. not going to yeah. get... You, you, the, you're going to... You're, you're, you've nearly saturated the market already. You're going to run out of people who want to do this. It's not going to be big. I mean, they were right. It was a niche, except, except only a massive niche. Right. It turned out that niche was... A, I mean, to be honest, I... One of the reasons I had trouble raising money is that VCs go off of your own confidence. And I'm not very good at convincing myself of things that I, where I feel it's truly unknown. Like, I yeah. thought it could be big, but I didn't know how big it could get. And honestly, I've been surprised at how big it has gotten. I've like, I, if you'd asked me, you know, five years ago, how big can Twitch get? I don't think I would have believed it could be as big as it is today. Hmm. Um, but I knew for sure we were onto something. And it really, it felt like between Justin TV and Twitch, it felt like I'd been bumbling around in the dark trying to like, you know, solve a, solve a, a puzzle with the lights off. And I just turned the lights on. I was like, oh, this is, this is much easier. And, and that was a really powerful experience. Yeah. And, and by the way, I should, I should just mention that you were at, at this point, you were the CEO of Twitch. Um, Justin was still there, but you were in charge. What, what was that like for you? Did you did you like managing people? Were you good at it? I was not a good manager. Um, what? Why not? I was bad at difficult conversations and giving hard feedback. Bad at uh, bad at praising people when they did well. Bad at delegating effectively. Micromanaging when I shouldn't be micromanaging, but then being completely disconnected on things I needed to look at. Like just there's a whole craft to management, and I was. You name the thing that a manager is supposed to do, I did it poorly. Huh. And I remember at the beginning, our point of view on management was actually, it was kind of, it was sort of common in the Valley at the time. Why do we need managers anyway? Like Google had like right. a, you know, every manager has 40 reports because like, what do managers do anyways? People should just like self-manage and do their thing. Why do you need like need managers? It's pointless middle layer. And that, that's not true. Managers serve a very important function in any kind of organization that's bigger than about 10 people. Yeah. But, uh, that was sort of our attitude, and the result was we we didn't value the coordination function and didn't really even understand it. And so it was this process both of getting better at it, but also just coming to appreciate what is the point of having a manager in an organization at all? Like, what does that person do for you and do for employees? Yeah. It was a big personal growth thing for me. I think becoming a manager was uh, really helped me grow emotionally, grow socially. I was, I'm really glad I got to got the opportunity to do it. Yeah. So when you launched it, right, when, when Twitch was like the thing, mm -hmm. it was free, right? It still mm -hmm. is. It's free. I, mm -hmm. you know, I can go on it now and watch stuff. But how was Twitch going to make money? Uh, I was pretty clear it was going to be advertising driven. And uh, I was very excited about the idea of, you know, getting to scale with a gaming video product and selling video advertising. And so my original plan was just, just advertising. 
Um, and then this streamer, Day9, uh, who was a StarCraft streamer, uh, mm-hmm. I was at an event, we were talking, and he was he was saying how I have these people who really just love my stream, who come and hang out in the comments. And I think if we if you made a fan club for them, like a, a subscription, where they could pay $5 a month and get a badge, just so they could be a member of the club and be a supporter, I bet you'd get a, you'd sell a lot of those. Like I think I think we could sell a lot of those. Mm-hmm. I think you should build that. Uh, and I said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I, I I I believe you. Let's let's try it. So we we built a a beta version of it for him, and uh, boy, did that work! It worked way better than we expected. Where people were were willing to pay money to join like a club that got yeah. what, extra features, extra access. Um, no, you got a badge next to your name in chat, and when you subscribed, a notification happened in chat and he said thank you right and that would and that suggests that maybe he would pay more attention to your comments yeah sometimes there was no promise of that but yeah you you, you, yeah. you there's sort of a sense you might pay more attention to the comments we pretty quickly added special emotes so you got to use special like emoji mm-hmm. uh that were only for subscribers that you you would pay you pay money to buy a bunch of them but you, you get, while you're a subscriber for five dollars a month you gain access to all the subscriber emotes it's 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 micro patronage you are getting the the positive glow of supporting someone whose content you like and their gratitude for your help and uh some of them really leaned into it and i could see someone was making i think like a thousand dollars a month and pretty quickly i was like oh this is going to be a thing because if they can make a thousand dollars a month doing it part-time they're gonna go full-time and now we, we yeah we have many thousands if not tens of thousands of people who earn their living on twitch What's interesting about Twitch is we actually have this very thriving middle class because big streams monetize much more poorly per viewer than medium-sized streams do. Hmm. And so there's this, most of the money actually gets made not in the top tier of streamers, not the people with many thousands of viewers, but in the people with hundreds of viewers. That's actually where the bulk of revenue happens. It is that middle class of streamer who can have the more personal connection, who has a more intimate community, where subscriptions really work great and where community gifts work. And there's this whole set of dynamics around that community supporting that streamer. That really, that, that's what powers the, the jobs on Twitch effectively for streamers. Emmett, I'm, I'm going to put myself out there. I know people are going to hate this, and, but I'm doing it because I, I like to have my mind changed. This is why mm. I do what I do. I, I, I love hearing from smart people about what they do when I'm skeptical. And I, I've talked about this on the show before. I am, you know, I've got two kids who play video games, okay? And they mm-hmm. and they love playing video games. But I'm a, I'm a little bit more like your parents were, which is I don't love it. You know, I don't, like your parents didn't buy you a console because they didn't want you sitting in front of a television set, right? Like I want my kids outside jumping on the trampoline, going on hikes mm-hmm. with me. I want them out mm-hmm. doing things. Yep. But I understand, like the, the 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 world of people twenty and under today is is much more of a virtual world. I, I I get it, but I've watched a bunch of Twitch streams, and of course they're they're all different different in different ways. But you know, I see a lot of like shooter games, just blood mm-hmm. bloodied aliens or <laughs> humans, and you know, young guys being like, yeah, yeah, whoa, yeah, no way, f yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that's I know I'm being a bit stereotypical, but I don't know. Part of me is just like some of these really well-known gamers too. I'm sure they're really nice people, but sometimes I, I don't know. I there, there's a 
there's there's a a part of it that feels not so nice. Yeah, I think there's a lot in there. I think there's a bunch of really <laughs> no, there's, they're all really important, really good questions. I'm trying to just take it to, yeah, to take apart the various please. pieces of it. So the first part is uh, screen. It's the screen time question, right? I'll note that's not a new problem, right? TV. People watch eight hours of TV a day. People come home and they, you know, the kids plopped in front of the boob tube, right? And like the electronic babysitter. That's like a this is this is not entirely a new problem for digital entertainment. Although I will admit, phones make it more omnipresent, right? More, it's easy for it to take over more and more time. There's a there's another thing which is uh, video games themselves. And I well, I admit there are shooters and violent games. I've learned so much from video games. Video games are incredible teachers. I've learned teamwork. I've learned analysis. I've learned critical thinking. I've learned, I've learned how I've learned socialization skills. Mm-hmm. I've, I've learned so much from video games. And when we ask people, why do you use Twitch? Not new people, but people who have used Twitch for years, who are core users, who who love it, who come back uh, day after day, is always the same. They don't mention entertainment. For our core users, we are not an entertainment product. We are a community product. I'm here because it makes me less feel less alone. Because they're together. Because they're together. Because they're and yeah. lots of people say they have community, but community is not a collection of people who all like the same thing, watching the same thing together. Right. Community is fundamentally about uh, communication between two people being witnessed by a third in that community. I get that. Totally get that. And, and you know, and I, I appreciate that because people who listen to the show feel part of a community in a different way. And I've met people who say, if I go on a date and the person likes how I built this, then we're <laughs> and I know we're the right fit. Like, that's happened. But here's the thing. You gave a TED Talk, which I saw, and it was really good. But a real part of it made me so mad. Part of it made me so mad mm-hmm. because you talked about video games as a new campfire. Mm-hmm. And I heard you tell a story that I really related to, which is when you were a kid – You'd go to friends' houses and you'd play video games. And mm-hmm. and I remember doing that. And, and I'm a little older than you, but I remember doing that. And you were in someone's room and you were playing a video game and watching somebody else, but you were in physically the same room. That's very different than everybody being in their own space and their own computer connected virtually. I get it. That's still a community, but it is different. I agree that it's deeply impoverished versus coming together in person. But... I kind of think of, if you think of social, social stuff as nutrition, which I kind of think it is, I think it's an essential for us. Social connection and community cohesion is essential for us the same way food is. And we can, we can provide, like, the, not everyone who uses Twitch feels this way. So for some people, it's, it's supplementary. There's yeah. other reasons. But there's a set of people for whom Twitch, th- th- it is the, the vitamin supplement they need socially. Um, and it's, I think it's one of the most important functions we, we offer. And... It's a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be that you get all your socialization from Twitch. That's terrible. That's like getting all your nutrition from a multivitamin. Like that's a t- that's not how you should live. I, I think that's a great analogy because you're right. You can't get all your nutrition from mm-hmm. a multivitamin. Yep. How do we help you go to the salad bar? Yeah. How do we help you go to the salad right. bar and take take one more incremental step? Mm-hmm. And I will say that there's a lot of incremental steps there because when I was a kid, what I realized was I wasn't capable of handling the intimacy of real human connection in a lot of ways, which is why instead of actually looking at my friends and talking to them about them, I looked at a video screen and not at my friends' faces because my friends' hmm. faces were too overload. I couldn't handle it. 
How long did it take you to, I mean, because it's a very self-aware thing to say, but you probably didn't come to that realization until later on in life. No, definitely not. Uh, I realized this, there's a, basically the last uh, 10 years, I've been really like focused on a lot of emotional growth stuff. And I, I probably realized this maybe six years ago. Mm -hmm. I realized seven years ago, I realized like, oh, that's why I needed to play games so much as a kid. And like, I still play games, but way less now. And the reason was I couldn't handle actual social connection. Yeah. And this was the scaffolding that got me there. And I, I think there's a role for it. I think it's great to get around and play games with your friends. And maybe that hopefully for, for, for me it was, and I think hopefully for many people, it can be a step towards eventually having deeper, more emotional connections. I view trying to help build community in this way as sort of my like life mission. It's like the most important thing I do at Twitch, but it's, you know, beyond Twitch, it's the most important thing I think I can, I can work on in a lot of ways. It's really interesting. I think it's really interesting. One thing that you've said very explicitly is that we're not a free speech platform. Don't expect to come onto the platform and say or do whatever you want. We'll we'll just take you down. Uh, and so that's very. It's a very different response than say you know some other tech companies. But but in general, that's your position. You're like we we decide what people are allowed to say, what games they're allowed to play, and uh, and how do you how do you sort of to tell me how you kind of think about standards and 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 what's allowed and what's not allowed. So first and foremost, I think of Twitch as being a, it's about community and about connection. And part of being part in a community is, is being willing to join that community's standards. Um, and it, it is not easy to set standards that work globally, that make sense. Right now we tend to have one global standard, which I think is a good safe place to start, but we could, we can do better. And we're fortunate that unlike most social media, you can't really go viral on Twitch. It's almost because because it's live. It can't go. You can't get to. Oh my God! Look at this. Millions of people see it. It's like whoever many people saw it saw it. That's over. It's over. It's real time. It's ephemeral. Yeah. Um, and my my hope is to engage our community more and more deeply over time and helping set rules for itself. I really believe that ultimately, as communities grow up, they need they you know that there's a sense in which communities should become self governing. And I don't think the right – there's a sense in which that could be an abdication of responsibility. Oh, not our problem. We'll let our everyone just govern themselves. We're not – if bad things happen, not our fault. I don't want that. But I'd l- I want to in a way that is – levels up the level of nuance, levels up the level of uh, buy-in, have our community over time help self-standard for itself more and more. And we're just at the very start of that journey. Um, right now, we're just trying to make the, the simpler centralized system work. But I, I, I would – like to get there over time. Hmm. All right. So I want to ask you about the sale of Twitch to Amazon. And we've done this in the show before where we've had many companies that that were sold and acquired and and in most cases was the right decision, right? Um, And one that always comes back is Instagram. You know, people talk about Instagram and, and, you know, Instagram was bought for like a billion dollars by Facebook and people, you know, people think of that as like, or, or even YouTube's acquisition by Google to like people call those like the bargains of the century. Now, that's sort of in, in, in hindsight. But of course, you know, you look at a company like Twitch, you look at a brand like Twitch and you think, my God, it's just so valuable today. And in 2014, you were acquired by Amazon for a little under a billion dollars. Amazing outcome because it was mostly cash. But still, I don't know. I mean, do you think, you know, I mean, tell me about the thinking in your head about this. 
So we got paid a pretty good premium over, like the last round we've raised had been a $100 million valuation, not that long ago, right. like a year ago, year and a half right. ago. And I think your revenue, your reported revenue at the time was like $70 million. Yeah, something we, like we, weren't, that. We, weren't, we weren't that big yet. Now we were growing fast, so it was right. clearly a winner. There's a reason they were paying us yep. a premium. But we, you know, we, got, we got the forward valuation that I think makes the, if, if you look at it in an economic sense, yes, yes, Twitch is much more valuable today. But I think from an economic perspective, I didn't ever, I never really worried like, oh, I didn't make as much money as I should have made. I mean, first of all, I made plenty of money to the point where it doesn't really matter. But also, I just, I feel like when you actually do the math, it was a good deal. The real question yeah. for me was like, what's the best home for Twitch? What's the best job for me? I mean, selfishly, like, is yeah. this, am I going to enjoy doing this? Um, right. And I hated raising money. And I really don't like investor relations. I like building the product. I like working with my team. I like working with streamers. And I, I really, I think the fact that I'm still at, with Twitch and still at Amazon shows, I think we we chose the right buyer. I get to basically really actually be the CEO of Twitch. Right. And it's been almost eight years. You've been an Amazon employee for almost seven years. Yeah. That's right. Because uh, you can leave. You got your payday. I mean, we're, you can, you can we're, yeah. we're well after the vesting period. At this point, I'm yeah. doing it because I love Twitch. Yeah. Emmett, when you think about this journey that you've taken from, you know, starting out Kiko and then Justin TV and then and then this kind of gamble, this kind of pivot towards towards streaming games, which became Twitch TV to the Amazon acquisition to where you are now, seven years in, you're an Amazon CEO. I mean, a CEO, you know, of an Amazon portfolio yeah. company. Um, how much of, of what you've accomplished do you attribute to your skills, your intelligence, how hard you worked, and how much do you think has to do with being lucky? Um, as, the, as the famous quote goes, 50% luck, 50% skill, 100% concentrated power of will. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know if like that, – that, that's you know, it's, it's sort of a joke. It's sort of not a joke. Um, I was very smart. I was very hardworking. I was in, very persistent in the face of a lot of failure. And then I was also very lucky. And to, for something to be as big and successful as Twitch – you kind of got to do all four. I guess more luck can make up for less of the other three, but the best you're going to do is like 50% luck. And I've now been around the Valley for 15 years and I came here with a bunch of people who started making companies. And I don't know anyone who persisted and tried again and then tried, and then tried a new thing and then tried again who hasn't had some level of success. Eventually you do get lucky. Now, Mm. Now, was it was was it going to be Twitch size lucky? No, no, no. I mean, there's a lot of lower levels of lucky that are still success. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so I think at some level that I was successful I at all, I attribute to some combination of hard work, persistence, intelligence, that I was successful in anything resembling the scale of Twitch. That's the, there's a huge portion of luck there that is that is undeniable. That's Emmett Shear, co-founder and CEO of Twitch. By the way, remember when Emmett and Justin sold their first business, Kiko, for like $250,000 on eBay? Well, whoever bought it didn't do much with it because the domain name, Kiko.com, is just kind of sitting there. They never used it. They've never used it. They've, they've, they've sat on it for years. They've never used it. Wow. They never sold it to anyone. It's actually... I have a I have a fantasy someday I'll buy back Kiko, but I just I, I think they'll want more money than it's than yeah. it, like that's like a nostalgia purchase. It's not like a I, I don't want I don't want to spend like the what the a four letter pronounceable domain name probably costs these days. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you want to contact our team, our email address is hibt at id.wondery.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, our account is at How I Built This, and mine is at Guy Raz on Twitter and on Instagram at Guy.Raz. This episode was produced by Josh Lash with music composed by Ramtin Arablui. It was edited by Neva Grant with research help from Claire Murashima. Our production staff also includes J.C. Howard, Liz Metzger, Alex Chung, Carrie Thompson, Catherine Seifer, Elaine Coates, John Isabella, Chris Massini, and Carla Estevez. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to How I Built This. If you like How I Built This, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.